AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite, with just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Welcome to Checking In with Michelle Williams, a production of iHeartRadio and The Black Effect. Hey everybody, it's Michelle Williams. You know, sometimes life gives you a sign along the way that could be considered warning signs, but sometimes we miss them because we don't even know where to look. I have someone who has a story to share that may help you or help someone else recognize them. Coming up next here on Checking In with Michelle Williams. When you're in a space that may not be healthy, especially with anxiety or depression, it can be really hard to recognize that you're even in it until it gets to a place that's hard to get out of. So my book is coming out soon on May 25th, to be exact. And I want to start sharing a passage or two that I think relates to this. This whole time I had been walking around with my anger thinking I had a right to be mad when really I was just feeling like no one would ever see me as valuable for me. But I wasn't trying to be sad and wounded. Being angry was much easier. Because I wasn't being with myself and checking in, I had no idea that feelings of worthlessness were at the root of my anger. I'm not Miss Sandy, but let's just take a minute to do that exercise together. When was the last time you felt angry or sad? Think about it. Be real with yourself. What thoughts were driving that emotion? You know, when we started the podcast checking in, 
it was definitely to make the conversation of mental health and mental illness relatable and practical and very down to earth. And I want to do the same thing with my book. Just being transparent and keeping it real with telling my story. I'm getting a little nervous as we get closer to the um, time that the book releases. For some reason, it's feeling like a music project, you know, the release of a, an album. But I'm settled. Um, I am at peace. And I hope that we really begin to check in with those emotions. You know, like I said, when we found out that, you know, me feeling worthless was at the root of my anger. And then why was I feeling worthless? You got it. It's like peeling an onion back. You got to get to the root of that. And it's literally believing labels that maybe other people put on me and thinking those as truths. And it's like, nah, I don't think those things about myself anymore. You know, and that is a work in progress. You know, sometimes how many of us we look in the mirror, you know, we are always finding something that we can change. You know, and it's almost like even going inward, trying to find out things um, that you can change, which actually can be good. I'm thankful for y'all and um, continue to check in. I'm really ready to dig in in today's episode and today's guest. So listen up and um, have an open heart. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Checking In with your girl, Michelle Williams. First of all, I start every episode or I try to thanking everybody for sharing and subscribing. The numbers are growing. You guys are just making me feel so good because every week you decide to check in on this podcast. So this week's episode, um, just lean in, open your hearts. And I know that there is going to be something in this podcast that you will relate to. I do for sure. And today I'm spotlighting a fellow writer who has just published a book that delves into the topic of mental health. And he's got an important message. It's going to help someone that's listening. He is a Yale grad who has received numerous writing fellowships and is currently pursuing his PhD. Please welcome Vince Granada to my podcast. Thank you so much for having me. You are so welcome. Thank you for taking the time out to come um, on today to talk about something, first of all, so personal. When I was pitched your story, my heart went out to you. My heart went out to your family. Do you mind telling us about the event that changed your life when you were just 27 years old? Absolutely. Uh, So the book I've written uh, is about my family's uh, experience of serious mental illness. And specifically, it grows out of a a tragic event that happened in my family uh, Mm. about seven years ago now. Uh, So one of my siblings, I have triplet younger siblings, um, my brother Tim, uh, when he was about 19 years old, he had done about a year of college. uh, He started Mm. to struggle with um, a number of different different challenges that we really couldn't get a a handle on right away. Uh, He seemed to be quite depressed. He was mm. having a hard time going to class, and he became uh, suicidal. He would talk about um, wanting to end his life, and um, over the course of the next several mm-hmm. years, mm-hmm. we would we were able to get him into you know some intermittent therapy and able to connect him with some professionals that that were able to talk to him. But he never really got consistent treatment because there would always come a point uh, when when he would sort of resist uh, talking about his mental health. Mm. 
And eventually, and, and what I would come to learn is that that was really a facet of the illness he was dealing with. We didn't know at the time that he was struggling with schizophrenia, but eventually he started mm. to experience psychosis and, and started to experience hallucinations and, and his world really became quite terrifying. He, uh, several years after he first became ill, um, had a really difficult time um, while he was living away from home. He started to believe that his landlord was poisoning his food. He started mm. to believe that there were people following him around campus, uh, that there were cameras uh, just sort of watching him. And he called our mother uh, and told her that, that he planned to end his life. The way he put it that night was he said he planned to blow his brains out in the library. Mm. So my mother rushed to, to campus to, to be with him and, and helped bring him back um, to, our, to our home. He was about maybe two, three hours away uh, at college from where we grew up. And when they got home, he, he agreed really for the first time to go with her to the hospital. Um, but at the hospital, as soon as he was sort of being checked out by the ER staff, yeah. he began to resist. And he was eventually admitted into the hospital against his will for, for a two-week period. After that two-week period, he went home with a couple prescriptions, um, with a plan for further treatment to deal with what was then becoming clear with schizophrenia. Um, but he flushed his pills down the toilet and mm. refused mm. to... Mm -hmm. attend any kind of outpatient clinic and lived at home uh, with our mother who, who cared for him as, as best as she could. And over the course of the next couple months, his delusions and hallucinations grew, grew quite a bit worse. Um, and they started to, to bend towards our mother. And he began to believe that she had abused him secretly when he was a child, you know, stuff that was mm -hmm. completely mm -hmm. out of nowhere. Um, that was the opposite of the, the childhood we had had. Yeah. And then tragically, uh, when the two of them were alone in the house during a very intense psychotic episode, uh, he killed her. Mm. So it's that event that sort of spawned this book and, um, you know, has sort of inspired my research into trying to figure out, you know, what the heck went wrong yeah. with my brother's care. Um, and that is mostly what the book looks at, um, sort of the lead up to that tragic event and how we've, how we've tried to live in the aftermath. Yeah. Well, Vince, everybody that is listening, I believe I have an amazing group of folks who have great hearts. And I want you to know all of our hearts are going out to you. And thank you so much for sharing such a, I'm going to go ahead and say the word, it's traumatic. You know, um, I know when you got that phone call, what went through your mind and body? Take us through that moment. So I was quite far away from home uh, when my mom died. Uh, I was about a thousand miles away um, and I wasn't in a place where I had uh, cell phone service. Um, mm. So I didn't actually get a call uh, from my father until several hours later. But eventually when he got through to me, I, was, I, mean, I wasn't expecting to hear him, him mm -hmm. say this to me. Um, and he, he told me, quite directly what happened. He, he said it right away as soon as I could hear him. And then because of where I was, I, I lost the call. The call dropped. Um, mm. So he told me that Tim had killed mom. And then his voice was gone. It's in writing about that moment for the book. It's so hard to describe just sort of the, the loss of control you feel in your body when you hear something that yeah. completely changes your world. And something that's so nonsensical it just, it does not sound like someone was just speaking to you in a language that you understand. Yeah. Um, so I collapsed. I, you know, and I didn't hear back from him for, you know, another 10 minutes before we could talk on the phone again. Wow. And I'm sure what has that done now for you 
mentally? Have you had to seek help for yourself and relationships? Has it affected relationships? Yeah, all of the above, I guess I would say. I'm that. so sorry. Um, yeah. No, no, I, uh, um, yeah. no, no, no. I, I, I think the most important or one of the most important things is I was very lucky fairly soon after my mom died uh, to get into pretty consistent therapy with, with someone who I actually still speak to to this day. I had mine yesterday at 10 a.m., so no shame. <laughs> no, I, believe, okay. believe me, there, there's, I, I, will, I will talk about therapy. I will screen the I benefits be, of therapy ooh, from the rooftops. I'm um, an advocate for it, okay? Everywhere, yeah. do not, I try not to miss an appointment, and if I do, I'm quickly saying, hey, I've got to reschedule. Let's let's reschedule immediately. So I don't play when it comes when it comes to that because to process, you know, some things because even though, you know, that's happened to you and your family, you still deserve a great quality of life in every way. You deserve to be whole as much as possible. Thank you so much for that. And Mm -hmm. I I, it took me a while to, to actually sort of, you know, realize that myself, I think. And I think one of the reasons why therapy was, was, I mean, it was life-saving and it's not, you know, hyperbole. It it, it literally saved my life. Mm. Um, But one of the most difficult things to sort of live with after my mom died was just sort of the tremendous guilt of one, you know, not physically being there, being so far away. Mm -hmm. And then sort of, you know, almost more devastatingly, just having known that Tim was not well for a long time and and not having been able to do anything to help him. Um, Mm it took a very long time for me to start to forgive myself for, you know, not knowing about, you know, what his illness really presented to him in terms of challenges and not knowing what it was my mom was trying to, to mm-hmm, do to help him out. Mm-hmm. And I, to some extent, blamed, you know, myself for, for parts of, of how my family arrived at that, that tragic day. And it was both in, in therapy and in sort of talking through what it was I could and couldn't control. And in writing this book, um, in writing this book, I, learned quite a bit about what Tim was facing. I learned quite a bit about okay. schizophrenia. And through that process, I started to understand more about, you know, just what it was I, you know, could or couldn't have done to, to prevent what happened to my family from happening. Mm-hmm. Well, you were talking about being able to, you know, forgive yourself. And it's actually one of the points that I wanted to talk about as far as forgiveness. And you kind of have touched on a little bit about your journey uh, to find forgiveness for your brother and for yourself. Once you just kind of studied everything about schizophrenia, which is, you know, a mental illness, was that when you were like, okay, this is why he did it. I can forgive him. Or did you feel like, Nah, I'm not going to let that be an excuse. I'm going to hold this. I'm not going to forgive him. Did you have moments like that? I knew pretty quickly that if I rejected the idea of forgiving Tim, if I held on to too much anger toward him, that it would consume me. And I don't think this is because I'm like a particularly saintly person or anything, Mm -hmm, but I mm -hmm. I knew just to preserve myself that it would be a much harder way to live if I held on to, to anger toward him. Um, and the, the biggest sort of reason why I think I was able to move towards forgiveness was because it was so clear to me that that's what our, our mom would want. Um, mm, she was okay. you know, his, his greatest caregiver and, and all she wanted was for him to have a chance at a peaceful life. Um, so I knew really beyond any shadow of a doubt that what she would want is for me to, you know, leave space for him in my life and to, to keep that relationship as, as alive as possible. Wow. 
Um, and I think that was more important. I mean, even before I could really think about sort of what it meant for me to forgive him or for me to, um, you know, keep him in my life, I, I knew that that's what she would want. And that helped guide me in those, those mm-hmm. early, in that early year for, mm-hmm. for sure. With you being the oldest, correct? Yes. Yes. Did you feel the weight and the responsibility to be the example for your siblings and just the family period? I think from a young age, as an older sibling, that sort of gets put onto you. Like, you know, when I was, yeah. you know, I was, I was four and a half when my siblings were born and, and to have three at once, you know, my parents. And like, you're still a baby at four though. Let, let uh, you yeah, be, I, let you be a toddler. Right. I mean, <laughs> what, what could I honestly do to help care for infants at four, four and a half? I mean, nothing, right. right? I, um, right. But, you know, I, I think I had a sense from a young age that I had to, you know, if not help, at least not cause uh-huh. additional problems. Um, and that, you know, I don't think that was anything my parents put on me, but just it's hard to, hard not to come mm-hmm. up with that sort of perspective, I think, when yeah. you're around younger siblings. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that has carried over, you know, into to sort of our adult lives. Um, but I also, you know, I want to, at this point, we're all, um, you know, we're all quite a bit older. And I don't think necessarily I've been, an example for sort of my siblings. I think when something like this happens, when something of this magnitude mm-hmm. happens, everyone's going to have their own response, their own reaction, and everyone's going to deal with that pain in the way that makes sense to them. Yeah. And I think one thing that was difficult initially for me was mm-hmm. I, I really you know, don't know if I always knew the best way to be there for my siblings. And I think at times we were grieving in different ways and we were grieving at different speeds. And it was difficult for me to maybe meet them where they were. Um, mm. So I, mm. you know, I, I don't think I would say necessarily that, you know, at this stage in our lives, I, I feel that I am an example. Um, I don't, I don't think that's accurate necessarily. Mm. I'm, you know, there to love and support them just as they love and support me, but it's a much more equal playing field now than when we were children. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future, building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Wallbrook, we hear inspiring rags-to-riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Yo, I'm hype. The Black Effect is live. This April 27th, the 2024 Black Effect Podcast Festival is headed down to Atlanta's very own Pullman Yards. Last year was incredible, and this year will be even more thrilling, especially with Nissan coming back along for the ride. Nissan is returning with some empowering activations to support black excellence in the STEAM fields. Have a podcast idea you've been eager to share with the culture? Well, Nissan is back with the Pitch Your Podcast Lounge. 
You'll have the chance to record your podcast idea and share it with the Black Effect Podcast Network team. But that's not all. Nissan is taking the stage to spotlight some of the HBCU scholars from their own Thrill of Possibility Summit. Nissan's action-packed weekend of community building, mentorship, and professional development for HBCU scholars pursuing professions in STEAM. The Black Effect Podcast Festival is the event to be at. You will not want to miss this. Because no matter where life takes you, Nissan will dial up the thrill in your adventures. Visit blackeffect.com slash podcast festival for more details. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. And thank you for mentioning that even though with siblings, we have to remember, and anyone listening who has experienced any type of loss, especially if you've got siblings or just a, maybe just a big family, everybody will grieve differently. And that's okay. Everybody will mourn losses totally different, even though you could be in the same family, even though, guess what? You probably go to church all the time. You probably, and, and that puts added pressure on you, making you feel like, well, because you have faith, you've got to forgive. And because you have faith, you should mourn one month and then keep it moving. You know, did you have anybody in your life that was like, come on now, Vince, now, come on, bro. We, we got to move on. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure if anyone put it to me exactly that way. I think if anything, I was probably the one who resisted mourning the most. I initially dealt with pain by trying not to look at it. I specifically, um, I think in the, the months after my mom died, I tried to go forward with, you know, all the normal elements in my life. At that point in my life, I was a, I was a high school English teacher. I went right back to work, went right back to living where I was living. And that, you know, it, it, it worked a little bit only because I had so many loving, supportive people in my life. But I tried this type of sort of coping that didn't allow me any time to sort of think and process mm -hmm. about just how thoroughly my life had changed. I think, you know, other members of my family were much more, I'm not going to blame myself for this now. I think I've become, you know, more patient with myself over the last years, but they were able to process their grief, I think, more openly and more mm -hmm. thoroughly than I was early on. I just felt very closed off and I felt sort of like I was trying to like white knuckle my way through and and, you know, it took, I think, a lot of time and therapy to break some of that stuff down Yeah, to get me to open up in a way that would actually allow me to look honestly at what had happened in my family. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I had someone tell me not too long ago, my father passed in December. And I'm so sorry to hear that. Thank, thank you. And I went right back to work too, pretty much. And I had a moment where grief just hit me. And I was like, where did this come from? And my friend looked at me and said, you know, you kind of went right back to work after everything happened, you know, so you didn't give yourself time. And I was like, well, what is it supposed to look like? Am I supposed to sit and just be in wear all black for 80 months? You know, what does grief look like? What does mourning look like? But I think for me, I don't know if it was like this for you, Vince. It's like I'm selectively vulnerable. Yeah. I want to control it. Yeah, it sounds like somebody I know. 
Okay. <laughs> I, okay. You took a deep dive into um, the research of schizophrenia. For my listeners, can you explain this illness? I think one of the one of the challenges of the illness is that there's quite a bit that we we don't know. And I think mm. in my um, you know reading about schizophrenia and my seeking out experts and talking to them, I think one of the first things that I realized is that what we call schizophrenia, what we sort of classify as this one illness, um, you know, has so many different presentations. You know, I think someday with more research, we may find that what we've called schizophrenia is really, you know, a whole constellation of, of different disorders or different, different illnesses. And, and I think that makes it difficult to talk about schizophrenia sometimes because mm. what one person who lives with schizophrenia experiences can be quite, quite a bit different from what another person with schizophrenia experiences and what works for treatment for one person might not work at all for another person. Hmm. So I think when I thought about the specifics, I, I, I'll try to talk more about sort of the specific schizophrenia that, that Tim experienced because, and what I want to be very clear in saying is just because Tim's schizophrenia unfolded in this particular way and this particular way that involved violence, that absolutely does not mean that people who live with schizophrenia are violent. In fact, it is much, much, much more likely for someone living with schizophrenia to be the victim of violence than to be the perpetrator of violence. Mm -hmm. So, and that was, you know, a challenge in writing this book because in Tim's experience of schizophrenia, his illness um, manifested in a way that made him see the world in this terrifying way that created this sort of persecutory understanding that our, our mother, the person who cared for him most in the world was actually sort of evil was actually actively harming him. That's so what he believed. That is what he believed. Mm-hmm. That is what his illness convinced him of. Um, okay. So things that he would experience, everything from delusions of, of grandeur, where he would think about himself as sort of in this big sort of, you know, good versus evil spiritual struggle, where every day he felt like, um, you know, demons were vying for control of him and, and he had to sort of fight them off. Um, and a lot of his conceptions of his world would take on religious language. He was, um, I think, would often think about sort of his struggles in in terms of, you know, demonic possession almost. That was the language he had to describe what was going on in his head. And a factor in Tim's illness and in, in many, but not all, to be clear, people who live with schizophrenia is this symptom called anazognosia, which essentially prevents the person suffering from the illness from understanding or being aware that they have the illness. Um, and it's something that's, and this was, this took me a long time to, to understand and accept. Um, but it's something that goes beyond denial. It's yeah. not just someone who has a, a difficult illness denying that they are sick. Um, even though an illness like schizophrenia, because it carries such a terrible stigma, it would be understandable for someone who's facing that illness to, to perhaps deny that they are sick. But in some people, this, this element, this anazognosia is sort of a neurological factor that prevents them from being aware or even yeah. being able to understand that what's going on in their head, what they see distorting their world, um, is in fact an illness. There are so many different ways that people experience schizophrenia. And I also want to be careful to say that, you know, while I did, you know, talk to Tim extensively about his experiences and mm-hmm. while I did talk mm-hmm. to experts extensively and read many, many books, it, it is not an illness that I have personally experienced. So when I okay. described it in the book, I wanted to be as careful as possible to, to show that it's a spectrum of experience and, and not to assume that, you know, I have any kind of definitive knowledge about how someone living with schizophrenia feels. 
So two people can have the same diagnosis, but it expresses, the illness expresses itself differently. So if I were to ask you, what signs can you be looking for? You probably really can't because like say with depression, some general symptoms, fatigue, isolation, sadness, you know, are there general mm-hmm. symptoms like that with schizophrenia? Right. I mean, there, there definitely are sort of warning symptoms or, or signs. Yes. Okay. Um, you know, someone who is, um, you know, hearing voices or, um, you know, saying that they're seeing things that aren't, aren't literally yeah. there or mm. people who are, um, who seem to be paranoid about their surroundings and, and, uh, you know, people who are endorsing ideas that they're sort of in a, a sort of a, a bigger, people call it sort of delusions of grandeur where they're yes, seeing their life as mm. sort of a, a sort of almost fantastical experience. Um, and with Tim, and I mean, maybe that's, that's the most useful way to kind of talk through this. When he first became ill, his experience really did look like depression. Um, it looked in that sort of first couple of months like he had really, you know, lost a lot of his, his, his will for life. And, and for many years, one of the ways he would express um, sort of his pain is, is through sort of suicidal ideation. He would talk about wanting to end, end his life. He would talk about plans to end his yeah. life. Um, yeah. And that is something, I mean, I think a, a really staggering um, and terrible number of people who, who suffer with untreated schizophrenia do, do die by suicide. Um, and so that was a very real fear that we had for Tim as well. Mm. Wow. Thank you, by the way, for answering that, because I'm sure people that are going to be listening, whether you're driving in your car, you're just kind of sitting listening. You're probably wondering, hey, do I know someone? That's why getting this book, Everything is Fine, is going to be so helpful. And Vince, because you've you've had to experience this, um, it's unfortunate that you had to. You're going to change lives and make so much impact because you're going to know what you're talking about. You've had firsthand experience and you've experienced, you that, yeah. you've experienced loss because of it. It's different. Well, I'm just Dr. Granada. I've done some research. On, no, not only have I done research, <laughs> you got to know my journey to know why you're going to be a beacon of light and make some impact. You're impacting me in these 25 minutes of conversation. Well, I, I really appreciate you saying that. And I, in writing the book, I think that thought while, while the writing of the book was, was at times this sort of immensely painful process and, and not always. Yes, because I definitely yeah. wanted to know that, you know. Yeah, I, and I, but I, I do think the one thing that, that unambiguously kept me going is, is the idea that, you know, even if it's only one person or one family who reads this book and learns something that can help them mm-hmm. avoid something tragic like happened in, happened in my family, I mean, that that would make it worth it. Yes, sir. Mm. So just having that, that possibility was something I tried to hang on to, even when, you know, I think the years I spent writing this book weren't, weren't always yeah. the, the best years of my life. With everything going on, I'm sure, you know, now working on a PhD, I don't know how much TV you're looking at. <laughs> Not as much as I'd like, but yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure you're aware of tragedies happening in our country you know, from murders of people of color to shooting sprees that have been occurring at an alarming frequency. Who are you turning to for strength during tragedy? Does it make you think of what's happened in the past to your mother and, and with your brother? Who are you turning to for strength? There are a number of people in my life that I've been 
beyond lucky to to have the you know including my my father my brother chris my sister lizzie yeah. who who love me even you know when i feel like i'm not necessarily the best version of myself and and you know they've been there for me in ways that few other people could understand because we've been through something yeah. similar mm-hmm. uh, we've been through you know we, we've all experienced it differently but it's they can understand on a level that that many other people cannot and i've also in, in ways that I'll, I'll never fully understand been been lucky enough to have have friends in my life who have been with me in in those really dark moments mm. and have and have more than anything listened to me when when I couldn't make any sense out of what I was feeling or thinking. Um, so, I mean, just the the love of other people in my life more than anything has has helped in, in moments. Mm. And and I think to to what you were saying about sort of reminders of of tragedy and and truly how you know I think every day there's something that happens in this country that that is staggering and, and yes. tragic and violent. I think even if that weren't the case, what I realized pretty soon after my mom died, and this terrified me at first, but I, mm-hmm. I realized that to some extent, I will think about her and I will think about her death in some small way every day, sometimes big ways. And when I realized that, it scared me so much because I, at that point, all I could think of was someday being beyond this, like this was something I would get past. Mm. And, and I, I just didn't understand that the reality is that when something like this happens, it's with you in some way, shape, or form every day of your life. Yeah, that doesn't change. Mm-hmm. But the way I can meet those moments changes. <sighs> yeah. So I, you know, I mean, just, just like, wow. I'll, I mean, something as innocuous as uh, we have a couple of, of dogs, my my partner and I, and, and whenever we Aww. go to the dog park, and I, yeah, we were big dog people, and and <laughs> just like small things, like I'll see. I'll see a woman bend down to pet one of our dogs and I can't help but think of my mom in that moment because she, she also loved dogs. I mean, there's just, mm. there are so many moments in a day that can take me to her. So there is nothing, every day you're going to see something like you just said in the little tender moments of seeing someone bend down to pet their dog, not just a someone, but like you just mentioned a woman. So you will be reminded of your mother. I'm just praying just for just more beautiful memories that you can hold on to. I know as both of us have written books, for me, I was wondering, man, am I telling too much information? And then a part of me is like, well, this isn't just for me. It will help others. Tell me in how writing your book, everything is fine. Did you almost put the pen down or stop typing and like, yeah, I'm good. This is too much. I, yeah, I'm gonna just drink coffee. I, I'm not even gonna talk about it anymore. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
Yo, I'm hype. The Black Effect is live. This April 27th, the 2024 Black Effect Podcast Festival is headed down to Atlanta's very own Pullman Yards. Last year was incredible, and this year will be even more thrilling, especially with Nissan coming back along for the ride. Nissan is returning with some empowering activations to support black excellence in the STEAM fields. Have a podcast idea you've been eager to share with the culture? Well, Nissan is back with the Pitch Your Podcast Lounge. You'll have the chance to record your podcast idea and share it with the Black Effect Podcast Network team. But that's not all. Nissan is taking the stage to spotlight some of the HBCU scholars from their own Thrill of Possibility Summit. Nissan's action-packed weekend of community building, mentorship, and professional development for HBCU scholars pursuing professions in STEAM. The Black Effect Podcast Festival is the event to be at. You will not want to miss this, because no matter where life takes you, Nissan will dial up the thrill in your adventures. Visit blackeffect.com slash podcast festival for more details. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. I think it was harder for me to get started. I think once, once I started, I, I convinced myself that this was something I had to see through or at least see as far as I could, I could possibly mm-hmm. go. The, the real challenge for me was just to begin the process. And, and it wasn't something that, I mean, writing has been a part of my life since I was very small. I mean, in, in school from, you know, mm-hmm. third grade up, I was always writing stories and, and I, I love writing and I always will love writing. I mean, you were an English High school teacher? I was, yeah. I taught, I taught high school English for a while. And, um, you know, here I am trying to get this PhD, PhD. in English and creative writing. And so I, I, writing was always one of the ways I had to sort of see and make sense of the world. But I, for, you know, over a year after my mom died, I, I couldn't really think about what writing about my family would entail. It just, it felt, it felt too big. It felt too yeah. terrifying. And I, when I finally started trying to write, I, approached it from a very different angle. I thought I was going to write like one sort of, you know, shorter piece, like some sort of op-ed about the mental health system. And, and when I started trying, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. We could could do a whole other podcast on that one. Okay. Call me when you're ready. (laughs) Yeah. You tell me when. Okay. But, uh, but I, I approached it from a very difficult position when I was starting. I, I had at that point, I'd, I'd sort of gotten a hold of my brother's hospital records from when he had been hospitalized and sort of the months before our mother died. And it was just this, you know, massive stack of paper. And I, I went through with, you know, my like red grading pen and, and just started making notes in the margins and underlining yeah. names. And I was, I just, I was so angry. Like I was, I was looking for someone to blame. Um, and because I was so angry when I tried to write, nothing really worked because I couldn't get out of the way of my own anger. I was just so, so ready to blame other people are so ready to, to sort of lash out yeah. and, and I couldn't reflect about my own pain and my own sorrow. And it wasn't until months later when I, when I met someone who would really become my writing mentor, uh, this, this man, Richard McCann, and he showed me how to, how to write from a place of grief, to write from sort of a quieter, more sorrowful place. And that, that changed the whole process for me. Mm-hmm. To write from a place of grief, has it been healing at all? Do you think you're in a place of healing? Now I'm in a place of healing, Okay, but I'm 
very aware that there are lots of other factors outside of writing that that contribute to that. Um, mm. What I'll say about writing, I really wanted writing to be something that would be healing, that would be something that would be cathartic or something that could be therapeutic. And in some ways, it, it very much is. In some ways, writing allowed me to, to really think about what happened in my family, to reflect on what happened in my family in a way that I wasn't allowing myself to do mm-hmm. just in my own life. It really demanded that I sit down in a quiet place and think very deliberately about you know, what it is that happened and how I felt about it. So that piece of it was very important in, in what I'll say is starting my healing process. I think writing started my healing process. But at the same time, it was so painful to revisit those moments. And I think I, at times, because I was so invested in, 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 in getting this writing done and I got so lost in trying to do the best job I could because the stakes felt so high. This, this, I wanted this to be a book that mattered. I wanted yeah. this to reach people and, and help people. And I let that sort of you know, numb some of the, the real intense pain I felt when I was writing moments in this book. So mm-hmm. it started the process of healing and at the same time, it was also very painful. Very painful, yeah. So yeah. I had to, you know, do lots of other work outside of the book to, I think, really get to the place of healing that I am that I'm in today. Okay, lots of other work is just that just therapy, revisiting those moments. It is. It is a number of things. Therapy is is one of them for sure. I, you know, like I like I said earlier, I've I've been working with the same psychologist for for quite some time now. Okay, I, I, I trust her, and she has helped me sort of, you know, unknot these things in my life that I always thought I would never understand. And there's that piece of it. There's opening myself to the possibility of sort of, you know, meeting people and, and allowing people into my life that sort of care and love for me. Um, okay. You know, in the last year, I've, I've met someone who I want to spend the rest of my life with. And it's a person who I don't think I would have allowed myself to meet if I was still in this place where I was so focused on writing this book and I was so mired in pain. So there's that. And I was just sitting here thinking... Faith plays a big role for me, and I don't know how it plays a role for you, but I was just sitting here praying for beauty to come out of this for you and for you to say love has come. How much more beauty can a person pray for when it comes in the form of love? You know? Yes. Do I say congratulations, excitement? Uh, you, can, you can definitely say congratulations. Okay. I, 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 <laughs> thank you. I, I almost can't believe sort of how lucky I am. Um, and, and just as exactly as you said, to, to open myself up to the possibility of seeing beauty in the world. Again, yes. That, that was how I knew that I was, you know, in a place where I was healing. That's so good. So yes, good. Thank you for that. Well, I've got two more questions. And one of those questions and now you don't have to go into details because I, I want people to go get everything is fine. A general update on how Tim is doing because he has a name and yes. You know, how is he doing? First, thank you so much for that question. And I, I always worry that when I, when I talk about this book, that one thing can, that can get lost is that Tim and I still have a very close relationship and we, you know, we still speak at least once a week. While I was writing the book, you know, I, I tried to keep him, keep him up to date, you know, okay. let him know what I was doing. It, it, it was important mm. to me that, that he, he knew that this was something I was doing. And he has, and, and this is, this is something that, that makes me smile every time I, I talk about it. Um, for almost four years now, he's been voluntarily receiving medication and, and he is in consistent therapy. So he's in a facility in, in Connecticut where we're from, and he's moved from sort of the maximum security facility okay. to a sort of other sort of hospital setting that's on that campus where okay. he has a bit more 
freedom of movement and has access to, to a number of different things and, and sort of a much higher quality of life. And he, he's on a good trajectory. You know, he's still, he's still, he's not yet 30. He's still a young man. He, he can have a, a peaceful life after all of this at some stage. I, I earnestly believe that. And I want that. Wow. Vince. He's on, he's on his way. So thank you for asking about him. Absolutely. Did y'all just hear what Vince said? He just said, I, I want that for him. I want him to have a good life. That's got to make all of us check people in our life who's probably done some pretty horrible things. Vince, I've got people that I, when I talk about forgiveness, they say, I can't forgive this person. But you're showing you're walking forgiveness out. Thank you for that. My last question for you is, I just want you to share why everything is fine is a love letter to anyone that has ever felt complicated. Yes. Yeah. I, I haven't ever put it that way in my mind, but you're right. It absolutely is. And I, I think the reason why it is, is because part of why I wrote this book and part of what I was thinking about while I wrote this book is what I would need, what I would have wanted to read myself either before terrible things happened in my family or immediately after, because mm -hmm. I remember feeling complicated, feeling so lost myself. And there were times when I was writing this book when I tried to think as much as possible about, you know, what, what would have helped me hold on in those moments that felt impossible. Mm -hmm. And I think I'd also add that things like what happened in my family will always be senseless and they will always be tragic. And there isn't, you know, something like a, a simple silver lining that, that, I, that I'm trying to draw from, from all of this. That being said, because I've had this experience and because so many other people have had this experience, there has to be some way to, you know, we, we still live after these things happen. Yeah. You know, even if we recognize that they'll always be tragic and even if we recognize that every day we'll think about them to some extent, we still have to, have to live. And mm -hmm. if, if anything... I hope that, you know, someone who holds this book can see that there is a way, not a perfect way. I don't think I'm a, a model or anything like that, mm. but I, I did live after what happened to my family you and did. I continue mm. to live. Come on. And which would you say that's a choice to live? It had to be for me. Okay. Um, mm. It had to be for me. Yes. Okay. And thank you so much for sharing about what you hope that the readers, when they pick up the book, what you hope they get out of it. Can you share something, one thing to the people that are listening to give them some hope? At the most painful moments after my mom died, I resisted talking about my experiences and I resisted sharing. I, I wouldn't have even thought about starting to write a book or, or do that kind, of, that kind of work. But as soon as I started to talk to people who I trusted and as soon as I started to share parts of my experience, it, it did feel like the burden yeah. was a bit lighter. So okay. as difficult as it is, you know, try to find that person that you can talk to. Well, everybody, you heard it from Vince, is to try to find a person to talk to, a safe person <laughs> uh, to talk to. Vince, once again, you have such an incredible story and thank you for checking in and bearing everything practically. I feel it all. I feel just the feelings of being vulnerable every breath you're taking. I truly support you. I'm excited. I'm just going to say it publicly. Many people are hearing this, um, that we continue this conversation as it relates so. to schizophrenia and just mental illness. And Absolutely. I want to um, be supporting you on your journey to your PhD. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for this conversation. It's meant it's meant a great deal to me. I can I can see this turning into something else for you. Oh, th- thank you yeah. so much. Vince, once again, thank you so much. And you got love from me and you got love from everybody that checks in every Tuesday for this particular podcast. You guys, please go out and support Vince Granada's book, Everything is Fine. Thank y'all so much for just leaning in and taking the time to listen to Vince's story. You personally might not identify with schizophrenia, but there's got to be someone that you know, whether it's a friend, a relative, a colleague, um, someone that you went to school with who has had the diagnosis of schizophrenia. And this conversation just there are certain prayers that I pray and I'm like, Lord, just continue to open my heart. Give me a bigger heart. Give me more compassion. Give me more empathy. And I kind of think I err on the side of showing a lot of compassion, but you just never know someone's journey. And I just want us all to show Vince so much love with his book, Everything is Fine, the courage that he had to share this story. And I think what gripped me the most is that he still has relationship with his brother, Tim. I am just um, just grateful for this conversation. And if I can add that my book drops in less than a month from now, all right, you can find it at checkinginbook.com. And please continue to follow and share my podcast. Once again, you guys, just know that I love you so much. And thank you so much for joining me today. Checking in with Michelle Williams is a production of iHeartRadio and The Black Effect. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite, with just two capsules a 
day. Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more more info now.